0: Good morning. Welcome to LifeSpring uh, Community Church. We're so glad that you've decided to uh, gather with us this morning online. We're currently in the third week of a series entitled, What Now? It is a series that follows the church calendar during the season of Easter. And this means that we're three weeks removed from Easter Sunday. Easter is the most important church holiday in the Christian calendar. It is a day filled with celebration and joy at the singular reality the singular most important fact in all of Christianity, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he is alive, defeating death and evil. This single holiday is something that we celebrate and we prepare our hearts for through the season of Lent and Good Friday, and then we remember now as we are in the liturgical season of Easter as we look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. On Easter, we celebrate We come to church in our very best clothes. Uh, This year was a little different like that. Uh, Maybe you didn't dress up. Maybe you wore pajamas to church. I'm not sure. I was talking to... um Becca and Eliel, and Eliel's our youth pastor candidate, and he was talking to me. And I was talking to both of them. My wife and I had met with Becca and Eliel during a Zoom call, and they were telling us about their Easter experience and how they woke up. And they watched a couple church services, ours one of them. And Becca got all dressed up. She woke up early. She did her makeup. She got her Easter best on. And Eliel just you know wore his pajamas or whatever. So there was a little tension there, but I, I don't think they'd mind sharing that story. I don't know what you wore. I'd be interested to know how many people dressed up for Easter. I certainly did not. You know, uh, I did not at all. Yeah, we watched the service at home. I just realized we pre-recorded that service, so I was at home for Easter for, for probably the only time in my whole career, hopefully. Um, but we 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 put on our best clothes. We take pictures. We sing our most upbeat and triumphant songs. We celebrate baptisms and we celebrate new life. We eat special food with special people that we care about. In short, Easter is a celebration and it should be. Um, After Easter, however, we throw away all the peeps that we didn't eat, because who likes those things? We throw away the Easter grass, which is all annoying, you know, and we start to clean up, and we eat all of our leftover ham and scalloped potatoes, and we enter back into normal life, and what are we faced with? A world that is very much like it was before Easter, a world where hunger still exists, where disease still ravishes, where injustice and poverty still are all around us. In fact, some of us might be left wondering after the Easter event, if Jesus has been victorious over death and evil, then why am I still struggling and why are things still this way? Easter leaves us as one uh, well-known Bible commentator says in Bible scholar Douglas Moo that Easter leaves us with an appropriate sense of incompleteness an appropriate sense of incompleteness life after Easter leaves us with a healthy frustration with the way things are for we are left thirsting we are left waiting we are left grasping for more in short, we are left waiting for what happened to Jesus to happen to us. Our resurrection, new life. And we are told and we are promised that it will. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also then give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, who even now lives in you. We have been told, we have been promised, that the same Spirit that gave resurrection life to Jesus' body will give resurrection life to our bodies. And not only this, but he will renew the whole world, creation itself. The faith-stretching reality, or catch, is that while resurrection life has been fully achieved, it has not been fully implemented fully achieved, but not fully implemented. I would imagine at this very moment, there's like an army of scientists out there trying to figure out a vaccination uh, to the coronavirus, wouldn't you? I am sure our best people are working on this. And there's going to be a time when somebody in some lab somewhere, or maybe some multiple somebodies, however these things, are going to say, Eureka, I've done it. I figured it out. And they have it all set. They know how to fix it. But yet, It'll still be a while before it fully gets implemented because it's got to go into manufacturing. It's got to go through testing. You see, fully achieved, not fully implemented. So while resurrection life has been fully achieved, we still are living in a tension period. A faith, faith, What do you say? A faith-stretching tension period in which we wait the final implementation of resurrection life. And so this morning, the question I want us to kind of uh, lean into a little bit is this. How do we wait for the final implementation of resurrection life? How do we wait for the final uh, implementation of resurrection life? Our text for this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29, and it is the third time, the third time that Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to somebody in his post-resurrection body and talks and and lives and dwells amongst uh, humanity after his death and subsequent resurrection. Over the past couple weeks, and you can go back and listen to those sermons, we've looked at the first two events. The first time Jesus appeared was to Mary Magdalene. The second time he appeared was to two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And now for the third time, Jesus is going to appear to his disciples. Now, this is interesting in and of itself. I don't really know what my interpretation of it. I don't know what to make of it. But simple observation is this. When Jesus appeared the first time, he appeared to one of his disciples. his followers, who was a woman, who wasn't one of his inner disciples. The second time he appeared, he appeared to two disciples that uh, had a loose connection to the disciples. But it is not until his third appearance that he actually spends time with that group of 12 men that were his inner circle, the closest people he had in his life. The equivalent might be something like this. If I went away to war and then I come home and the first people I can't spend time with would be People other than my wife and kids. I bet you my wife and kids wouldn't like that. Now, this might be a little different, and I'm not even sure what to make of it. All all that to say, it happened, and this event is significant because now Jesus is going to spend time with the people that he was the closest with, his closest followers. The people who, after Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and appeared to Cleopas and the other disciple that is unnamed of Luke 24 that we looked at last week, those people all told disciples that they had, they had uh, seen Jesus. And don't you think those disciples thought to themselves, we were his closest followers. Why hasn't he come to us? In fact, I'm sure that was a part of the fuel to the fire of their doubt. Jesus wouldn't appear to Mary and Cleopas and this other person. He'd appear to us. And yet, Jesus does appear to the disciples in his third post-resurrection appearance. And in this appearance, he tells us, uh, like he tells them, he tells us how how we can have strength and courage as we await the final implementation of resurrection life. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came. He came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed and they, because they had seen the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, who's also known as Didymus, one of the 12 disciples was not with the other 11 disciples when Jesus came the first time. And so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his nail marks in his hands and unless I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. And Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so, this text this morning, uh, we could focus in zero on a lot of different angles, and there's so much rich material here in this passage. But today, I want to focus in on three truths or three realities that give us. Courage and strength as we await for the the final implementation of resurrection life. The first is, while we are waiting, Jesus tells us that we wait with purpose. Do you see that in the text? In verses 21 through 23? Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so send I you. What Jesus is saying is that there is a missional component to what we do while we wait the final implementation of resurrection life. When Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection this first time in this account, he commissions them for service, for ministry, to share the news, to be his ambassador, his messenger. For Jesus has died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus has risen from the dead. Share the news. Jesus does not say, I have been raised from the dead, so sit back and wait until you die so you can go to heaven. Yes, he does not say that. What Christ does say is that because I have risen, I am sending you to implement my will, to implement my kingdom in this world. Christ has not abdicated this world. He's not left it to evil and to death. He has commissioned his followers, the church, his agents, to spread the message of the kingdom of God that life is, has conquered death until Jesus returns and finally and forever implements new life. As the church, we then have this ability to begin implementing in small ways new life, God's resurrection life in this world in incomplete ways until Christ returns in the same way that Jesus implemented resurrection life in everything he touched while he was alive. We have the ability to bring God's renewed and recreated order to earth. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, because God is concerned with redeeming and renewing this earth, this means that we are on purpose and mission to spread that message, not just wait around until Christ returns. This means, too, that everything that we do in the here and now matters. It is not just going to be washed away with the tide when Jesus returns as if nothing counts. Everything we do matters. N.T. Wright, one of my very, very favorite theologians in his book, Surprised by Hope, talks about what we do in this world before the implementation of new life and how it matters in this way. And I just love his language. It's so poetic. When we are living in this world, in between the resurrections, right? The first resurrection and the new resurrection when Christ comes and redeems, he says that you are not just simply oiling the wheels of a machine that is about to roll off a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that is shortly going to be thrown into a fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's going to be dug up for a construction site. You are, strange as it may seem, Almost as hard as it is to believe is the resurrection itself, accomplishing in everything you do of Christian love and charity something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Isn't this beautiful? Every act of love and gratitude and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching, a severely handicapped child to read or walk. Every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human being, and for that matter, one, one uh, our own fellow non-human creatures, right? I have to remember that sometime because I'm not a pet lover. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption and decay, and everything that makes the name of Jesus honored in this world, all of it will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. How do we wait for the final implementation of resurrection life? We wait with purpose, and do you see that at the heart of this purpose is a love for Jesus, a love for Jesus? It is if we want to be effective at sharing the this is like uh, insultingly simple at the heart of evangelism, at the heart of sharing the beauty of Jesus, is our own love for Jesus. It is our own love for Jesus. If we do not grow more and more enamored with the beauty and the love of Jesus day by day, we have no hope in the world of sharing the message of the hope of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has died and risen from the dead. Imagine this as a recommendation to a restaurant. I went there the other day. It was kind of average. You should check it out. I probably won't go again. You know? It is the same when we say, I don't really want to spend time with Jesus, but you know, if you believe in him, you won't go to hell when you die, right? If we want to be an ambassador of Jesus, we must first become enamored with the beauty and the love of Jesus because we have a purpose as we wait the final implementation of resurrection life. But second, Jesus tells us something else. He told his disciples, and in so doing, he tells us. Second, we wait with the empowerment of the Spirit, right? Do you see that in the text? Verses 21 through 23, Jesus said again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I I am sending you, purpose. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit (laughs) with a breath. The Holy Spirit is often talked about this way. I think it's metaphorical. But with a breath, he breathed on them. And symbolically, you know, the Spirit of God is being spoken over them. A spirit that in uh, just a a short time will descend into their hearts on the day of Pentecost. And really, this isn't a sermon discussing when does the Spirit come. Commentaries on the Bible will talk a lot about that if you read this passage. I'm not concerned with that at all. What I'm concerned with here is that Jesus, as he's talking with his disciples, is telling them, not only do you have purpose, but you have the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that is at work in raising me from the dead, that rose me from, that I have been risen from the dead because of. Man, my grammar is suffering right now, isn't it? The same spirit that was at work in my resurrection from the dead is the same spirit that you have empowering you To spread new life in the world. Um, Christ breathes new life, and the new life is embodied in the Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity. And the new life that resides within us helps us to be agents of the new life that we are to proclaim to the world. And third, we've seen that we wait with purpose, we wait with the Spirit's empowerment, and third, we wait. For physical resurrection, this is the picture of what actually will life, life will look like. In verses 24 through 29, Jesus does not teach us this didactically. He doesn't tell us it. He embodies it in his very resurrection life. He sits with them. He eats with them. He tells Thomas, who doubted before, touch my hands, touch my side. You know what this means? It means that we are waiting for resurrection life, for for new life after death, because death for the Christian is not the end, but life will continue. We have already seen that the resurrection gives us purpose, and we've seen that the resurrection uh, means that we will have the Spirit's empowerment, but also because we wait for the physical resurrection, we also see that we are allowed to love and relax in a way that we would not otherwise be. And I wanna make sure you understand this as clearly as I can make it. Because we wait for the physical resurrection, it means we have no fear of missing out. No fear of missing out. Isn't that called FOMO or something? Whatever. I'm not, I don't really speak in those kind of, um, what is it, like texting kind of language? I don't know. I shouldn't even talk like this because it just makes me feel like out of date and irrelevant. But um, anyway, the resurrection means there is no fear of missing out. It frees us to give generously, to sacrifice our time, to love others without the worry of missing out. Because, do you see, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ means there is no missing out. There is no fear that if we choose this, that we won't get to do that because we have eternity to enjoy physical uh, resurrection, physical existence, to enjoy all of the joys that the world has to offer except in a renewed and recreated earth. We will have eternity to explore and to travel, to cook and to eat, to learn and to accomplish, to love and to receive love from those around us. And so that because of the promise of future resurrection life, we are freed in this world to give ourselves away and yet fear missing nothing. Do you see how the resurrection is good news? We have purpose. We have the spirit of God. And we have no fear. No fear of missing out. This morning, whatever your reality is, whatever your emotions are like. You may feel that the world is amazing. You may feel that the world is a hard place. And probably all of us will go through times where we feel both of those things. And they're both kind of true, aren't they? Wherever you feel, I want to remind you that resurrection life has been fully achieved, but we wait for its full implementation. We live and we wait with an appropriate sense of incompleteness. But I urge you to wait with patient hope for the final resurrection because we wait with purpose for we have been empowered to implement resurrection life all around us without fear of missing out because the great hope of Christians everywhere will one day come to pass and Jesus will return once and forever And finally restore and renew all that is broken on this earth. And I invite you to be reminded of that reality as we close and pray together before uh, Jen and Jeremiah and Casey come and sing one last time. And I invite you to pray with me. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.